time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Bauckham, and this is the Thrivology Podcast. This is the podcast designed to help you thrive no matter what life throws your way. And today we want to talk about something that we bring on ourselves, something that uh, is kind of a self-created issue for us. And and I want to tell you a little background. And first, let me say that this is going to feel a bit political in the beginning, but my point is not politics. And my point is not the reason that I, I was reading about this, but how it applies to us. So let me give you a little bit of background. I was reading an article about people who provide services for women, gynecologists and others who provided abortion services to women. And they were talking about how striking it is that they would have some people who would be very high-ranking people or associated with those people, uh, very high-ranking politics in the pro-life world who would be coming to them for an abortion, which is a seemingly uh, at odds with what the person would say they believe. Now, I want to be clear that this is the point of this is the thought process behind this. But I wanted to tell you and be honest and upfront about where this information came from. So what they would note is at times they would be, you know, even at one point it was the president of the daughter of the president of the right to life group in town. Another time it was a very high ranking uh, political official that had taken a very pro-life stance. And as it turns out, as we've seen, there have been many people in those positions who have decided to avail themselves of abortion services. And the point of this is not that it's about how somebody could do something that they have publicly stated they're opposed to, and yet they have no issue with it applying to themselves. So that's the background for where this came from. And what they termed it, these providers termed this the me exception. And as I was reading about that, I was sitting there going, well, we all do this little me exception, probably even on a daily basis in, in ways that you know, maybe we sidestep a little bit. And, and I've, I've thought back a little bit about examples that I've seen and that I've committed. Now, for example, I remember there was a family member who was uh, in a rehab center um, and was really immobile. And the staff had put up a sign that because of choking hazard, this person was not allowed to have food. Now, no food was to be provided. And yet another family member kept giving food to the patient. And when confronted, in all honesty and fairness and upfrontness said, oh, I didn't think that applied to me because I'm family. And that's the me exception, right? I'll, I'll give you one that is a little more um, direct in my life. You know, sometimes I've been known to, you know, add a few miles on to the speed limit on my odometer. So I'm going a little faster than the speed limit says. And, you know, it, it's not as if that speed limit is set as a, well, this is a suggestion, right? I mean, that is the law. And yet I would exceed it. Why would I think that that doesn't apply to me? except for I'm the exception, right? The me exception. 
Sometimes we'll see that, uh, you know, when people um, kind of bend the rules around different things in their lives or even go against something they say they believe. And, and that really is the, the place where, you know, maybe you say, oh, I believe this, but then they do something else. And over the years and my working with couples who are in struggling relationships, it's been very common for there be, to be an affair. And as I'm talking to both people, um, one of the things comes out is that there is a rationalization that has happened. In fact, many times someone will say, you know, for years, my spouse said, I can't believe someone would have an affair, how awful they would do that. And yet my spouse is now cheating. I don't understand that. Or the person who had the affair would say, I am completely opposed to affairs. However, in this case, this is the exception. This is the reason. This was one of those moments of, of stark contrast years ago when I was talking with a couple. And this man had, over the course of his life, cheated on each spouse to leave that spouse for the next person. And he had done this now. I was talking to them on the fourth go round, the fourth couple, and he was once again cheating. And, you know, she said, I, I can't, I should have seen this coming because I was the other woman before. And now I'm the wife who's, there's another woman. And he looked at me and said, well, it's not like I'm a womanizer. And I remember stopping for a moment and saying, what is your definition of that? Because for me, you exactly fit that definition. And he began to explain the truth about his love for these people, finding real love and realizing that the old love was not true love and on and on the rationalizations went. Because this is what you and I, we do in daily life, not maybe to that extent, but are there places where you do the same thing? You know, where maybe the doctor says, hey, here's what you need to do to improve your health. And you think, oh, I'll do this. But, you know, I'm the exception to that. That's not going to work for me. I can't do that. And and what I've noticed is that this me exception is one of the things that keeps us kind of often stuck in old patterns because we don't want to apply the rules for everybody else to ourselves. And so what happens is we create these rigid rules in our mind that are absolutes. You know, you can't do this. And then when it comes to us, we go, well, yes, I did that, but I did it because of this. And so just for a moment, I want you to kind of ponder kind of in daily life how you do that. And I was talking with a couple just the other day, and the uh, the problem was around spending. And as I talked to them, they said, you know, we'd agreed early on that we would agree to any expenses over, I think it was $100. And so the one of the spouses had continued to spend you know, over that. It exceeded that. And, and the confrontation would say, uh, well, it was only $110 or, well, it was only $130. I mean, it's just barely over, right? Or, well, I didn't really think that fit into the category because we had already talked about something related, right? In, in other words, they kept finding an exception, the me exception, why this didn't apply to what I was doing. And I've realized how often we do this all around. It allows people to justify uh, breaking laws, breaking rules, breaking their own morals and ethics, doing lots of things that they would openly condemn if it were anyone else, but they want to explain it away on why they do it when it applies to themselves. Why do we do that? Well, I have some ideas. 
One is that lots of research shows that we actually make fairly uh, non-rational decisions in our life, and then we rationalize them. So let me be clear about that term non-rational. I didn't say it's irrational, right? Maybe you do something that would be irrational. It just makes no sense, and you know that it's against any rational thought. Non-rational means that we don't even apply that, that it's be, it happens faster than that. In fact, a lot of research shows that most of our behavior is instinctive, non-rational, emotional decisions that we then step back in almost an instant and find a rational decision to explain why we did it. The rational decision is only to explain the decision that's already been made at a non-rational place. The ancient teachers uh, have described this for really millennia. For instance, there's the metaphor of the rider on the elephant, that our non-rational decision-making is like the elephant. Now, if you've ever watched the huge elephant and someone trying to, to ride that elephant, you can recognize that if the elephant wanted to do anything, that rider would be incapable of stopping it. Now, having spent some time in India, uh, one of the things that I was very clear about is that the power of these huge animals and the little rider on top trying to get the animal to do what they wanted and so they spent a lot of time trying to train the animal, train the elephant from being from a very young elephant to be an obedient older elephant. But if you notice in the stories, there are times when years later, an elephant will have held a resentment or a grudge against somebody. And once they decide to um, you know, take matters into their own hands, there's no stopping it. They're just too powerful, too strong, and there's no stopping such a beast if they wanted to do whatever they wanted to. And so there's this metaphor of our non-rational emotional brain as the elephant and then our rational rider on top. So you can imagine, you know, the elephant's going where he wants to and the rider's kind of going, well, that's the way I want it to go anyway. (laughs) That's the direction I was going to head anyway. And off they go. Another image uh, from ancient times would be the charioteer in the chariot where they're holding onto the reins and these horses are flying along and they're doing the best they can to guide the beast, but who's really in charge, right? Those horses are going where they want to go if they choose to. And you're just kind of riding along for the ride, pulling, being pulled along. What ends up happening is both the rider and the charioteer, the elephant and the chariot meet the same pieces where what we're trying to do is solve our cognitive dissonance. Now, cognitive dissonance, uh, if you're not familiar with that term, is simply the fact that we as humans don't do well when there are two competing thoughts in our head, right? And so we've got to somehow make sense of that. Let's say you have come to believe some fact, and then somebody brings a fact that puts that completely takes away you know, this fact that you had once believed, this belief that you had has been destroyed by factual evidence, we don't do well with the fact that we have had this deep held belief that when it's confronted, completely collapses that belief. And so instead of allowing that belief to collapse, we have two options. One is we can rationalize away that information it's from a bad source. It's political. It's, you know, name it. And this is happening on a daily basis in our country where something is being shown as here's the evidence, right? Here's the proof. Here, here is 
the reasons for that. And, and it can be in science, it can be in politics, in, in medicine, wherever it is. And it completely confronts what you've decided to believe. And so now you can either go, okay, I've got the facts now. I need to change my beliefs. Or you can find a way of getting rid of that. And so part of what's happening in this me exception is to say, well, that may apply here, but those facts that you have, you know, the, the speed limit posted on the side of the road or the sign over a patient's bed or, you know, the beliefs that you've been espousing and the actions you take not matching. Well, we have to find a reason for that, an explanation. And so part of what this me exception does is it allows us to come up with an explanation of why it doesn't apply to us. For some time when I've been in uh, groups uh, to make a point, I've asked how many people in the room felt like they were above average drivers. So let's say I've got 100 people in the room. I'll say, how many of you are above average? Usually the number above average is about 90% of the people there. So 90 people out of 100 would say, I'm an above average driver. Now, if you're a statistician, you happen to know that that's likely not true Unless I happen to be speaking to trained drivers, right? If I'd gone to a NASCAR convention and the drivers were in the room, that might be a little bit different. But in a general audience, if you ask 100 people how many think they're above average and at least 90% say they are, that's statistically unlikely. Average is 50. So you could expect that maybe half are in that category. Somewhere in there, maybe 49. So you have the 50th person in there, but it can't be as many as believe. We see ourselves. I don't know about you, but you know, when I'm driving down the road, if there's somebody in front of me that is going slower than I am, I think, how dare they? I can't, don't they know what the speed limit is? Don't they know how to drive in these conditions? They should be going faster. And if someone passes me, I go, how dare they? They must be driving recklessly because they're going faster than I am. In other words, we all have a built-in kind of belief that the way we see the world is right, that we're accurate, or we would do things differently, right? If I felt like I was driving too fast, I would slow down. If I felt like I was driving too slow, I would speed up. And so the speed that I've determined is right, I then apply to other people. But explain away why mine might vary from what that sign on the side of the road goes. This me exception can trip us up on a daily basis because we constantly find an excuse for our own behavior when we don't excuse others. So there are a few things that I think might be helpful to kind of think through this for you and for me uh, to see if there are places where this me exception might be keeping us from thriving because we keep letting ourselves off the hook. One is to just ask the simple question, where do I do that? If you find yourself seeing some reason why you shouldn't be doing something and you're doing it anyway, or why you should be doing something and you're not doing it, those are places to kind of go, huh, that's the me exception, right? Since I read that article, I've been noticing my me exceptions. And there are some small ones, there's some bigger ones, and the more closely I look, the more I see these places where I might expect somebody else to do something that I have an exception for myself. My expectation versus my exception. Expectation on others, exception for myself. So the first thing we need to do is just identify the fact of that. 
And the second is that then ask the question, is there something about this where I'm making an individual exception that actually goes against the bigger issue, the greater good, the bigger calls? This happens on a regular basis. You know, if we're flying down the highway exceeding the speed limit, we might want to notice that that speed limit is there because some research shows that that is the safe limit for that area. And when we exceed it, we are putting ourselves and others at risk. Or maybe, for instance, when somebody says, yes, I think that affairs are not appropriate and then think about committing it themselves because of some reason to go, wait, what's the bigger issue? What's the greater cause? What's the commitment that I made, for instance, to my other relationship that I need to deal with first? Or somebody who maybe says, you know, you really shouldn't be cheating on your taxes, but finds a reason to do it in their own mind, which, by the way, is a huge percentage of the population, to ask what's the bigger cause here, right? Why do I get to get away with that while somebody else has to, you know, pay the bill. These are all places where we can step back and ask where our individual exception may be putting the greater good, the bigger issue, the larger moral stance kind of at risk. And notice that when we make exceptions for ourselves, we're already bending our morality. We're already bending our own internal sense of what's right and wrong. The third thing I suggest is that maybe we notice where we're cherry-picking what applies to us versus what applies to other people. Just to notice the places where we tend to do that very often, inflicting our own judgment on others where we add an excuse for ourselves, which leads to the fourth thing, and that is to to understand the attribution error. Attribution error is something I've talked about uh, in marriage uh, issues for a long time, but let me just say it for a broader audience. The attribution error says that when you make a mistake, you do it because there's a character flaw. When I make a mistake, it's because I just made an error. It was an accident, right? You do something wrong. I will say there's something wrong with you. I do something wrong and I'll say, well, I made a mistake that time, but you know, we let ourselves off the hook. And when we understand the attribution error, we can begin to understand how often we put somebody else's actions on the judgment table, and yet we remove that judgment for ourselves. Where is it that you make the me exceptions? I've spent a good part of at least a week thinking about it for myself, and it's it's been eye-opening. And I hope you find the same to be true so that you too can build your thriving life. You've been listening to the Thriveology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at Thriveology.com or at ThriveologyMagazine.com. Remember that Thriveology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it.